I'm Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly entering a plea. New developments in the trial of a Catholic pro-democracy advocate in Hong Kong who is facing life in prison. Terror threat. Officials release more information about an alleged attack on a major cathedral in Germany. We have analysis from AC Wimmer. Race for the White House. A closer look at how former President Donald Trump is responding to possibly being removed from the ballot in a few U.S. states. And New Year's resolution. The Holy Father has advice for the faithful on making the most of 2024. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. Basil the Great. Our top story tonight, the new year brings new developments in the 2024 presidential race. Former President Donald Trump expected to appeal rulings from two states that he cannot run for president. We are talking about Maine and Colorado, which both recently removed him from their ballots. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, tonight, as President Joe Biden makes his way back to the White House after his Christmas vacation in St. Croix, his top competitor for the Oval Office is fighting both Maine and Colorado in the courts, trying to stay on the ballot and win back his old job. Maine's Democratic Secretary of State Shanna Bellows blaming Donald Trump for January 6th. The evidence submitted at the hearing demonstrated that it happened at the behest of and with the knowledge and support of the outgoing president, Mr. Trump. But one state lawmaker calls her decision hyperpartisan and threatens to impeach her. Bellows claims Trump violated the Insurrection Act. It was an insurrection because people attacked not only the Capitol, but also that process of the peaceful transfer of power. The case against former President Trump in Maine follows a state Supreme Court ruling in Colorado that could remove Trump from the ballot. A former Trump attorney weighing in on it all. And Congress has also acted through impeaching. Uh, they impeached Donald Trump for insurrection, and he was acquitted there. So this, this case has in some ways already been litigated uh, using the provisions that the 14th Amendment, Section 5, provided. Court cases aside, the former president also continues to build support. A top House Republican, Steve Scalise, just announced, I am proud to endorse Donald Trump for president in 2024. And I look forward to working with President Trump and the Republican House and Senate to fight for those families who are struggling under the weight of Biden's failed policies. And soon voters will get to decide the Iowa caucuses take place in less than two weeks, January 15th. Trump has a dominant lead. But GOP candidates like Vivek Ramaswamy continue to hit the campaign trail. And I worry if I wasn't in this race, you know, naturally the thing I'd be doing is I'd be voting for Donald Trump, too. It's the closest thing we've had to that. But we're in the middle of a war right now for the continued existence of our country. For now, Donald Trump technically remains on the primary ballots in both of those states. Trump's attorneys contend January 6th was not legally an insurrection. And that whether Trump qualifies for the ballot is not a decision for unelected state judges to make. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Well, joining us now is Derek Muller, election law professor at the University of Notre Dame. Derek, thanks so much for being on today. We appreciate it. So talk to us about the appeal process, what it entails, and how long it could take. 
Right. So right now, the Colorado Republican Party has appealed the decision out of Colorado. Uh, Trump is expected maybe today, maybe tomorrow to file an appeal as well. There'll be an appeal of the main decision in the main courts. But we're watching that Colorado Supreme Court decision appeal to the United States Supreme Court. Uh, we think that they'll probably have the last word on that. But ballots are being printed and they're going to be mailed out and distributed. The Iowa caucuses are in a matter of days. Voters need to know these things. So I think the Supreme Court is going to move very quickly, uh, but probably a matter of weeks. But that might be a, a little bit of time to develop the record and allow an oral argument to take place and issue a decision. And, you know, that being said, what happens if SCOTUS doesn't roll very quickly on this? What could happen? What could be the fallout? So formally, right, Colorado and Maine have stayed their rulings to say he can remain on the ballot while these appeals are pending. So formally, his name's going to appear on the ballot. But I think there's a risk that more states sort of fall in line. You know, Colorado was the first one to do this two weeks ago, and then Maine was the one that did it last week. And there might be other challenges in Oregon and some other states that have new filing deadlines. There's a chance that he's excluded from the ballot in more states. And I think it leaves voters questioning, am I voting for a candidate who's disqualified or whose my vote will not count in this state? Should I be looking at Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or somebody else to cast my ballot for? So it's an open question, and I think a reason why the Supreme Court is going to feel the pressure to issue a decision is quickly quickly as possible. Yeah. And there are also uh, uh, currently lawsuits pending in more than a dozen states to take him, President, former President Trump, that is off the ballot. What do you think happens in those cases? And how might this possible ruling from the Supreme Court in Trump's appeal, how could it impact those cases, if at all? Right. So right now, that Colorado decision a couple of weeks ago was very influential in Maine for when the Maine Secretary of State issued her decision. And now you've got two decisions against the former president. You can see that snowballing in other states as other judiciaries look at this and say, we don't have to be the first one. We don't have to be the second one. And in fact, we've got a lot of reasoning from these other states that allows us to sort of piggyback and, and exclude him and keep him off the ballot. Um, that said, the United States Supreme Court is the final word on uh, matters of federal constitutional law. So to the extent there are these disputes about about whether or not Trump is disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. It's really going to be on the Supreme Court to provide that final word. And once it does, it either will allow states to exclude him or close the door and, and require him essentially to be on the ballot in all 50 states. There are uh, calls um, from local lawmakers to impeach Secretary of State Shanna Bellows over her decision to take Trump off the ballot in Maine. But, but overall, I mean, how do you think these efforts in Maine and other states, how are they affecting voters and what impact could all of this maybe have on future elections? Yeah, it's really hard to say. Um, you know, on the one hand, voters might be emboldened to say, listen, I'm going to vote for Trump. Uh, he's getting uh, judges who are ruling against him, just like he's had these criminal cases and these indictments and whatever they are. It's just the judiciary stacked against him. So maybe they're emboldened. Um, on the other hand, I wonder for some voters whether or not there's lingering doubts in their minds saying, is it just one more thing for Trump? Is it just the drama that we're going to see for the next four years rather than implementing policies? Am I risking wasting my vote if I vote for him as opposed to somebody else. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on voters' minds in different directions. I don't know what those voters are thinking, but certainly something to think about. And then finally, if these states exclude him and keep him off the ballot, if they're successful or if these pushes continue in other states, I think there's real questions about how this tool might be used in future elections, whether or not other candidates who are involved in other uh, felonies or other acts that are deemed uh, rising to the level of an insurrection of an attack on the government, whatever we define that as, I think there's going to be a lot more um, political backlash. I don't know if that's serious. I don't know if it's the kind of thing we want. But one of the problems with these challenges is if they're unprecedented, you never know how they're going to be wielded by others in the future. And we're going to leave it right there. Derek, thank you so much for your time and your insights. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
In Japan, an investigation is underway following a deadly collision at Tokyo's airport. As a Japanese airliner was landing, it hit a Coast Guard aircraft. The plane burst into flames. All 379 passengers and crew evacuated safely. The prime minister confirmed five of the six passengers on the Coast Guard plane died. At least 55 people are dead following several powerful earthquakes in Japan. Authorities say 17 people are seriously injured. Aftershocks have shaken Ikishawa following the 7.6 magnitude quake. Thousands of homes and buildings were destroyed. The damage was so great that cannot be immediately assessed. Russian missiles bombarded Ukraine today. Officials say the strikes killed at least five people and injured 100. The Ukrainian Air Force claims that it shot down all 10 of the hypersonic missiles out of about 100 that were launched. The barrage is part of a stepped-up campaign on both sides to inflict damage away from the front lines. President Putin said that this is said to be seething at Ukraine's strikes on the Russian border city of Belogord over the weekend, killing 25 people on Saturday. In response, Putin has vowed to intensify the attacks on Ukraine. And for more about Russia's war on Ukraine, let's bring in Doug Klain, a non-resident fellow at the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center. Doug, great to be with you. Uh, during the last week, we have seen strikes on both sides. What do you think the signals? This signals a new phase in the war. We knew for months going into this winter that Russia has been stocking up on these missiles and escalating and increasing its production of suicide drones. We knew that Russia wanted to make this winter as dark, brutal, and violent for the Ukrainian people as possible. We've seen that in action now over the holidays between Christmas and New Year's. And again, uh, just this morning, Russia is launching the largest missile strikes and air raids on Ukrainian civilians since this war began. They hope to exhaust Ukraine's air defenses and hopefully take out some of the air defense systems that the United States itself has provided Ukraine. Well, Doug, uh, military and economic assistance from both the U.S. and also the U.K. has stalled. Uh, Senate Republicans are blocking President Biden's request for more Ukrainian aid. What do you make of that? This has sent a signal to Putin and to strongmen around the world that the United States at this moment is not a reliable partner. Putin's best hope for victory in Ukraine is not through some breakthrough on the battlefield. It's if Ukraine's partners are too distracted and divided to stand with the Ukrainian people. Uh, right now, this makes Putin feel emboldened that perhaps uh, the United States is getting too tired and too distracted to keep up this critical life-saving support for the Ukrainian people. So what do you think Ukraine needs to do in order to win this war? And can they at this point? Ukraine absolutely can still win this war. We've seen over the last two years that when the Ukrainian people are given the right tools, they can win. We saw the incredible lib uh, liberations of Kharkiv and Kherson of Ukrainians in American Humvees sweeping across broad swaths of territory to liberate land. They need the tools to win. Right now, they need more air defenses. They also need long-range strike capabilities to make sure that Russia's invasion forces have no safe harbor. Uh, that's going to be one of the key things this year. Can Ukraine and uh, the United States uh, and other allies learn the lessons of the last year where there were very real setbacks and give Ukrainians the right tools to win? We have a little less uh, than a minute left, but quickly, uh, Putin is about to secure another six-year term. Do you think he has the domestic support uh, to win this war in Ukraine? 
Putin has consolidated his power over the last two years, even after uh, you know a serious threat to his uh, uh, power from uh, Wagner Group mercenary warlord Yevgeny Prigozhin, who uh, was assassinated by Putin. Uh, you know, Putin has consolidated power and eviscerated Russian civil society. There are a few threats to him at home, but like any great power bogged down in a war uh, against the people fighting for their own survival, uh, there's only so long that the Russian people will put up with uh, the, their youngest people being killed in this war. All right, we're going to leave it right there. Doug, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, now to the war in the Middle East, where Hamas says one of its senior officials has been killed. Salah al Arori was the 57-year-old deputy chairman of Hamas's political bureau and a founder of its military wing. He is the most senior figure of the group killed since the war between Israel and Hamas erupted in October. The strike hit an apartment building in southern Beirut, while Lebanese media is reporting an Israeli drone carried out the attack. Israeli officials have declined to comment. This raises fears of a wider escalation that could follow. Hong Kong pro-democracy advocate Jimmy Lai has pleaded not guilty to three charges related to a Beijing-backed national security law. The Catholic and former media mogul is facing one count of sedition and two counts of collusion with foreign countries. Opening statements began today. The prosecution says Lai is, quote, a radical political figure if convicted lie is facing life in prison. While police say that there was no evidence of a terror motive in a deadly car crash outside of a New York concert venue, the suspect is said to have been aiming at a pedestrian crossing shortly before 1 a.m. Monday when that wreck occurred. The 35-year-old Michael Avery may have suffered from an undiagnosed mental health problems. That is according to the Rochester chief of police. The FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force is involved in the investigation. Well, we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including Close Call, an update on the alleged plot to attack one of the world's most famous cathedrals and a frightening incident in South Korea as a leading lawmaker is targeted. Welcome back. The president at Harvard University has resigned. Claudine Gain led the school for six months and two days, the shortest presidential tenure in its history. The resignation comes amid growing allegations of plagiarism. There were also doubts about her ability to respond to anti-Semitism on campus. Those concerns grew after her testimony last month on Capitol Hill. Following her remarks, Rabbi David Wolpe resigned from Harvard's Committee on Anti-Semitism, adding that Gay's testimony was, quote, painfully inadequate. One new development tonight in the terror threat against a major cathedral in Germany. Officials have arrested another suspect, bringing the total number of those detained to five. This in response to an alleged plot to attack the world-famous Cologne Cathedral on New Year's Eve. Officials uncovered the plot before Christmas. They say it involves Islamic extremists. Sunday mass went on as planned, though handbags and purses were not allowed. The cathedral was closed to visitors and tours. Now for analysis, we turn analysis. That is, we turn now to AC Vimmer, the founding editor in chief for CNA Deutsch, who has been following the story for us. AC, great to be with you as always. First off, tell us a little bit more about this terror threat in Cologne and how did authorities uncover it. Thanks for having me and Happy New Year to everyone. It's been quite the ride. Over the last few months, there's been warnings of terror threats in Europe. The 
German state, the Netherlands, Sweden, Belgium, a lot of countries have raised alert levels. But what we saw just ahead of Christmas in Germany and in Austria, I might add, with allegations of an alleged threat also for Madrid, was another escalation of that. A number of people were arrested, both in Austria and in Germany. And allegedly, media reporting, allegedly, these guys were planning to blow up the, you know, very famous, world-famous cathedral in Cologne using a truck full of explosives. Police have been investigating behind the scenes, not just in Europe, but across the world, of course, internationally, not just in the wake of the Israel-Hamas war, but also with the resurgence of the Islamic State in Afghanistan and the alleged members of the group that were planning to destroy the Cologne Cathedral and perhaps the St. Stephen's Cathedral in Vienna uh, were members of Islamic State Khorasan, Islamic State in Afghanistan. Tell me, AC, what is the feeling over there? I mean, how are the faithful feeling? How is all this impacting them? It's a fine balance, Tracy. On the one hand, I have very close family members living in Cologne. People are trying very hard to just continue celebrating Christmas. And the Interior Minister, Nancy Faeser, asked as much and said we would protect people as the German government to do so. But on the other hand, obviously, people are nervous. If you want to get into the cathedral, as thousands of people want to over the Christmas season and New Year's, because the Cologne Cathedral is in the middle of the city and an iconic building, they can't. It's been locked up. If you want to go to confession and attend mass, you can at certain times. And that's quite unusual in a country where usually the churches are open and invite people to come in and hope to. So there is a nervousness in the air. There's a bit of vitriol and anger even, to be fair, I think, um, in the public sphere, not just in Germany or German-speaking Europe, but across Europe. It is palpable. People are afraid and some are angry about the threats and what's going on. AC, you know, what about going forward with the cathedral? Uh, do we know anything about the schedule? Has it changed because of this? Yes, there have been a number of changes made. At the same time as there are uh, all these terror threats, there's also the first carnival mass is planned, which is very important in, in Cologne. And people are still encouraged to attend, but they, you know, they can't bring a, bring a plastic sword. They can't take a big bag. There are people, heavily armed security forces, around the place or watching everything that's going on very closely. And that will continue in the coming days and weeks. The threat levels will remain high is, according to the experts, the likely scenario, as I mentioned, not just with a view to the ongoing conflict in Israel and the Gaza Strip, but also with a view to the resurgence of Islamist groups in Afghanistan and arguably also, of course, in Africa. Before I let you go, AC, I, I do want to pivot here and ask you what other stories you're following right now regarding the church in Germany. So the church in Germany, of course, is a lot of other issues on hand as well. They're dealing with the fallout of fiducia supplicants. There's a lot of discussion going on at the moment whether and how the blessings of same-sex couples can be implemented in the way that several German bishops and Austrian bishops have already announced or whether the Cardinal uh, Archbishop, former Archbishop Cardinal Victor Manuel Fernandez, the prefect of the Dicastery of the Faith, will put the kibosh on that, will stop it. That's a huge debate that's ongoing at the moment. All right, AC, thank you so much for coming on. Always appreciate it. God bless. Thank Bye. you kindly. God bless.
Well, nearly 200 Christians are dead following a string of attacks during Christmas weekend in Nigeria. The governor of one state in central Nigeria says the strikes were well-coordinated. Leaders in the region are demanding government action in the wake of the bloodshed. The local bishop in the area is calling on the Nigerian president to protect his people. The South Korean opposition leader is in the hospital following a knife attack. Lee Jae-myung was stabbed in the neck. The attack took place while he was touring the proposed site of a new airport. The unidentified attacker asked for an autograph before carrying out the attack. One suspect is in custody. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, prayer intention. The Holy Father asked the faithful to reflect on the different traditions within the church. Plus, Pope Francis reveals one simple trick for getting the most out of the new year. We'll explain. has released his prayer intention for the month of January. He is asking the faithful to remember the importance of the different ritual traditions within the Catholic Church. In his video message, the Holy Father asks us to recognize the gift of different charisms within Christian communities. The Holy Father specifically mentioned the Eastern Rite churches, saying that they have their own traditions while maintaining the unity of the faith. Well, the Holy Father also delivered messages about the new year. He points the faithful to the Blessed Virgin Mary because, quote, she knows all of our needs. Dios Pope Francis made the remarks in his homily at the New Year's Day Mass, celebrating the solemnity of Mary, Mother of God. The Holy Father says that we should entrust the new year to Our Lady and consecrate our lives to her. Doing so will lead us closer to Christ, while also exposing us to the Blessed Virgin's tender love. Pope Francis also discussed Our Lady at his Sunday Angelus Address. Poniamo sotto il suo sguardo premuroso il nuovo tempo. At his talk to pilgrims, Pope Francis says that love should be filled with kindness and respect. In his reflection, the Pope also mentioned the 57th World Day of Peace celebrated yesterday. And the Pope warned of humanity's temptation to replace peace with power and profit. Oh, thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook X and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. We leave you tonight with footage of a New Year's prayer ceremony for Christians in Iran. Good night and God bless.